Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Oi with the Terror. I'm one of your hosts, Sandra. I'm your other host, Danielle. And we are back after a little break. Um, yeah. Also, I feel like I haven't talked to you in like forever, which is weird. I know. You. We'll have a lot to catch up on. We will. We always we always do. But I guess I can start off with my Oi for the week just to kind of get into that. So my ooh is I got Girl Scout cookies yesterday. How many times a year do they sell this? <laughs> they only sell them around this time of year, but oh, I had I was so, it's like multiple times. No, it's only this time of year. So oh. it's part of my my oi too cuz I had to go into Boston last night to put money on my Charlie card and when I got to the station I was like, oh, they're selling Girl Scout cookies. So I got two boxes of Girl Scout cookies, and that made me feel better about having to go all the way into Boston just to put money on my Charlie mm-hmm. card. Okay. So. I understand yeah. that reasoning, because I do that too. If I have to, like, go out of my way for something, it's like, mm-hmm. try to do something else while you're there. Yeah. yeah. And I should have done it on Monday, because I had Monday off from work, and I should have just gone into the city and, like, done it then. And I was like, it's snowing. I don't want to. And it's cold. So... Like me debating if I really need to get gas or not, or if I just go home. Yep. <laughs> and I've been to CVS like twice this week, and I keep forgetting stuff. Like I'll literally be mulling around, like run, wandering around the apartment, like, oh yeah, you forgot to get that at CVS, so I'm gonna have to go back tomorrow for like the third time. But at this point, I've just accepted that as being an adult. You can't mm-hmm. remember everything. Are you a list person? Do you make lists when you shop? Yeah, but then I usually forget to check my list, but it's on my phone. (laughs) Then you have to check it twice. Yeah. So, or I'll remember something like in the shower or like while I'm Mm -hmm. looking for something and it's like, oh yeah, you forgot to buy that. So, but I think that's pretty common for everybody. Yeah. I try to make lists like for groceries at Mm -hmm. least, but I don't do it all the time. But yeah, that usually happens to me too, where I forget at least one thing. But I do, like, target pickup orders. So usually it's like, oh, yeah, I need that. Target pickup. So that's been convenient. Do you have an oi or oo? Um, I have jury duty next week. Uh, I'm so sorry. Unless it gets canceled. Yeah, next Thursday. So... See what happens. I've been getting out of doing jury duty for like six or seven years. So I, get I kept thinking that I was still in Connecticut. Oh, so you get then, called for Connecticut and then have yeah, to be like, I don't like, live there. <laughs> they would mail it to my mass address, mm-hmm. but then it would have like my Connecticut info on it for the summons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like, no, I can't go to that courthouse in Connecticut. I now live in Mass. And then the response would be like, okay, you're off the hook. So now they officially have my address. Yeah. So I'm no longer off the hook unless it gets canceled. Well, you, I always meet interesting people when I go and do jury duty. So, because I get called every three years. Yeah. I mean, it's like a day off, basically. As Dave reminded me 10 minutes ago, he asked me if I told my boss. Because I'll probably need to take a day off. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you also need to give them proof that you actually went and had to go. Oh, okay. You can't See, just this be is like... like <laughs> it's been so long. I didn't even know you're supposed to do this. Okay. So they're going to get send you something later on 
basically saying, congratulations, you have served your jury duty service. You're good for three years and they'll send you multiple copies. You keep a copy and then you give one to your your boss so they can actually verify that you went to jury duty. So you can't just say, I have jury duty and then like skip a day of work. Yeah. It's also I found out on a day where I have four meetings. I don't really have any meetings the days before that day, <laughs> but that specific day <laughs> I have four. Yeah. It's like in college. You're like, hey, I couldn't go to that class. Can I borrow your notes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's jury duty. I hate jury duty. Well, actually that's not really fair. I don't mind it. I just always pray that I'm not called into like the room. Because that's happened to me before. Yeah, you got to leave last time, right? Yeah. They told you you could leave. I got to leave last time. And then, have I served otherwise? And I don't think I've served in mass because I usually got, I used to get called for Connecticut all the time. They'd send it to my dad's house and my dad would be like, hey, Sandra, so you need to like actually tell the state of Connecticut you don't live here anymore. Yeah, yeah. Which now they know because I don't have a Connecticut license anymore. I have my mass license. So hopefully that's a key for Connecticut to be like, oh, yeah, she doesn't live here anymore. Oh, so they caught you before me. Yeah. I also got called for both mass and Connecticut my freshman year of college. Mm-hmm. And I had to go to the courthouse in Connecticut. And then they almost put me as a juror for a murder trial. And I had to awkwardly be like, I'm a wow. student out of state. Like, I can't, I can't do this. They were like, yeah, you're a student. You're good to go. It could be interesting if it's an interesting crime, but I probably, I don't think I want to be chosen. As a first-time juror, I just didn't want to be on a murder trial. I would have been fine with, like, a, a traffic argument or something. Mm-hmm. But, or like, a Unless it's, like, very clear-cut, like, mm-hmm. someone broke into someone's house and the person defended them. Like, something like that, that's straightforward. Yeah. But yeah, if it's something complicated, that would be a lot to handle. Yeah. I don't think, especially my 19-year-old brain, like, no thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, did I ever tell you that Dave's ex-roommate was, or not roommate, that Dave's ex-classmate at school was a creeper guy that hung out at that park near the colleges in Boston? He hung out in Longwood? Yeah, and apparently he would, like, molest people that were jogging. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, right? He killed himself a few years ago. In police custody, took a bunch of pills, and then the police arrested him, and he died at the station. But, you go to Ritz. And he was in your grade? Yeah. Apparently he was, like, but yeah, I guess he was the, I don't know if multiple people do that, but at the park he would, like, attack people. Yeah, that's why we weren't allowed to go to the park at night. Mm. They were always like, please don't go through here at night. It's not lit. It's not safe. Find another route back to your dorm. So during the day, it was fine. That's so creepy. Like specifically like jogging ones because you're probably or might be by yourself. And Yeah. And if it's like, it depends if it's like at night or during the day too, or like in the morning. And there's something about jogging that I just feel like makes you more vulnerable because you're kind of like in your own world. You don't expect to defend, have to defend yourself. Like, yeah, you're in your own world, your own lane. You're not paying attention to your surroundings. You're usually listening to something, so you're not listening to what's going on around you. It basically goes against everything we're taught when we're like alone on the street, especially if someone is listening to music. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I've heard a lot of stories of joggers in particular, like getting harassed or like 
almost having like getting taken and stuff. Seems like it's a very common way to target people, especially if they know your routine. So, yeah. And pepper spray isn't legal here. No, it's not. But I think mace might be. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, I think mace is because I think I had some when I was in college. My mom gave it to me. What does one wear at a jury duty? Business casual. That's what I usually wear. I usually wear like nicer clothes. I don't just show up in like jeans and like a ripped t-shirt. Oh, really? You're supposed to dress business casual? That's how I always took it as like dressing like at least nice. I could be wrong. I mean, you don't have to. I don't know. I'll have to look this up. I didn't know that. It depends on what kind of vibe you want to put out there. So do you know the story of Haley Zega? No. No. Okay. So this happened back on April 29th, 2001. Um, Haley was at the age of six at the time, and she went on a hiking trip with her grandparents um, they wanted to go see the wildflowers that were in Ozark National Forest, and that surrounded the Buffalo National River. And essentially what happened was there was a waterfall, um, which is actually named after her. It's called Haley Falls. And in order to get down to see the waterfall, you essentially need to climb down a tree in order to get to where she needed to be at this point because she was only six years old she was really tired and she really wasn't in the mood to keep going but her grandparents kind of kept saying you know let's keep going let's just keep going just kind of keep up and keep going and you'll you'll be fine she at one point sat down on a rock on the top of a waterfall and she told her she asked her grandparents to essentially carry her because she was so tired unfortunately they weren't able to carry her out of the woods just because the way the woods were with all of the trees and all the foliage and everything so they were still encouraging her to walk with them she did try to follow them but because the trees were so dense she and she described it as a curtain um she couldn't see them and she could no longer hear them anymore because they were too far away she came along a bank which had two different ways so kind of like a fork in the road and she kind of assumed that if she took a certain way it would eventually curve around and she'd be able to meet up with her grandparents unfortunately the way that she took did not do that. She essentially got lost and she decided to just sit down and kind of stay where she was. At one point, she realized that her grandparents may not be coming back. So she decided to keep walking deeper into the woods. She was then able to get to the Buffalo River where she decided to follow the river where she'd hoped she would find a road or they would lead to a bridge or something. Um, where she could maybe find a payphone and call her parents or her grandparents to come and get her. So she kept walking. And at this point, it had been a couple hours since she had been separated from her grandparents. So she didn't really eat anything because she wasn't sure of what was edible to eat. And she didn't really drink anything because she wasn't sure if the water was safe. And she figured by this point, somebody had to be looking for her. She ended up spending her first night um, in the woods and she decided to sleep on a rock in the middle of the river so that she could be seen by helicopters flying over. At this point, she was noticing the helicopters flying over her, but she wasn't able to actually get their attention. The next day, she woke up and got off the rock that she was sleeping on and kept following the river. She was able to to find a cave that was located near the river, and I guess she stayed there for a little bit. By the third day, she was still walking along the river, and she tried throwing sand in the air to get the helicopter's attention, And at this point, because she was so dehydrated and she was so hungry, 
because uh, she still hadn't really eaten or drank anything. She started to hallucinate. She started to have very strange hallucinations. She essentially described the hallucinations as she was able to see a valley of flamingos, which she would not normally find in that area. By the third day, she decided to sit down just because she was so tired um, and she didn't want to walk along the river anymore. And that was the point where two men who were riding on mules came upon her. Uh, they weren't with the official hunting party because she was miles away from where they thought that we, she would be. Essentially, what they did was they looked at a map of the area and they kind of created a grid to search in a specific area, thinking that's where she may be located. But she was very far outside of that grid. So she wasn't even really located where they originally thought she would be. However, these two men did go up to the group and they did try to explain because they know those woods so well. This is where we think she is. We don't think she's really in this area anymore, but they were essentially ignored. So they decided to go off on their own and they did find her. And these men were named William Jeff Villainous and Little James. They were able to give her some food and then they took her out of the woods. She was found by them on May 1st in 1999, and that was 52 hours originally after she went missing. Um, she also described as during her time while she was out there, um, essentially she described as having somebody else there to help her, and that was her imaginary friend named Alicia. Yeah, I think she pronounced it Alicia. Alicia. This is actually a really well-known part of her story, and it kind of is more on like the folklore side um, because she didn't have any imaginary friends before this event, and she didn't have any imaginary friends after this event. But this, for whatever reason, was a well-known part of her story when it was reported that of what she went through. She doesn't, Haley doesn't necessarily define what Alicia was. She just kind of describes her as a very kind of safe presence uh, while she was out there. And she describes her as kind of helping Haley navigating down the bluffs to the river that were really high and that were hard to navigate. She is very grateful to this imaginary friend. Again, she never came across her after. And she actually has been back to those woods since her, her adventure back in 1999. But it has been speculated that Alicia may have actually been the ghost of another little girl that disappeared that was there to kind of help guide her to make sure that she was able to get home. A few other notes about her disappearance. It was the largest search and rescue mission in Arkansas. The search party was mostly volunteers. There is a book by Tim Ernest, Ernst, and that is called The Search for Haley. He was one of the volunteers that participated in the search to find her. Her story has been featured on Dateline. She also has talked about her story on YouTube. It has been in other social media posts as well. And if you are interested in actually listening to her story herself, you can check out her YouTube video. It's called 19 Years Later, Missing Child, Haley Zega Tells Her Story. And that is primarily where I got all of that information. Um, I did learn about the story first from another video that is done by Mr. Ballin. He has a Facebook group, or yeah, he has a Facebook page. He also has his own podcast as well. I don't know if the story is featured on his podcast. I know it's featured on his Facebook page. So if you're interested, you can go and check that out as well. That is entitled, What Was Out There in the Woods. So yeah, that's the story of Haley Zega. Never heard of her. I didn't either. And then I started to do a lot, like some research. And I mean, she's only... 
She was six in 1999. She's only like a year younger than we are, which is kind of crazy to think about. But I thought her story was interesting. And I like how it has a happy ending and that she was found. um, And that she was able to tell like what happened to her instead of just like the speculation of like what may have happened. Mm, Yeah, we need more stories on here that have happy endings. Mm -hmm. We do. Mine doesn't. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Well, mine did. So. Yeah. At least mine has a happy ending. (laughs) But I also thought, because if you go and if you listen to her story, just the way she tells it, even though she was sick, she does remember a lot. And she has been back to those woods a lot um, since that happened. So obviously she's not afraid of them, which is good. And I don't know. It's a story. I haven't done a story like that. So Yeah, yeah. How much of a not happy ending does yours have? It's not as bad as other ones I've done. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I'm doing another disappearance. Okay. <laughs> um, don't know why. I feel like I always like end up doing similar topics a few episodes back to back. That's fine. But, yeah. I mean But it takes place in a different time period at least. Okay. So it's during old Hollywood. Ooh, fun. A time filled with glamour. Glamour and fun, but maybe, maybe not. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like old Hollywood, like, yeah, it's probably, it's not that great, but it may have also been fun. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, men had all the control, but it does seem like a pretty interesting time period, I guess, if you didn't have a hard life. Yeah. So basically it involves mobsters aspiring actresses um so it reminded me of a classic movie from turner classic movie wait (laughs) a classic turner class basically like a film noir type Mm -hmm. and the aspiring actress who disappeared is named jean spangler she vanished in October of 1949, and a, there are a lot of different types of theories as to what could have happened to her. She left behind her young daughter, Christine. So apparently one of the main theories is related to a mobster named Mickey Cohen, and she may have had a relationship with one of his bodyguards. Apparently they were seen together a week before she vanished. So it definitely adds a layer of intrigue to this. Jean Elizabeth Spangler was born in Seattle, Washington on September 2nd, 1923. After graduating from high school, a high school in Los Angeles, she started working as a dancer. But her main goal was to break into the Hollywood film industry. At the age of 19, she married manufacturer Dexter Benner. 
but it didn't seem like a happy marriage as they filed for divorce six months later on the reasons of cruelty. They had an on and off relationship for four more years, though. And at that point, that's when they had uh, their daughter. After they officially divorced, Jean was then embroiled in a long and bitter battle for their daughter. But she was awarded sole custody in 1948. That same year, Jean's stardom was looking like a real possibility when she started getting more roles in films. The young actress and her daughter moved into her mother's house in L.A. with her brother and sister-in-law. And Jean was working on another small part in a musical drama to be released in 1950 called Young Man with a Horn, starring legendary actor Kirk Douglas. On one day, um, October 7, 1949, Jean left the home at 5 p.m. and told her sister-in-law she was going to meet with her ex-husband to discuss a late child support payment, and then she later had a night shoot. But when Jean did not return home the next day, her sister-in-law went to the Wilshire Division of the LAPD to file a missing persons report. The police took down the details, but it seems like they didn't take it very seriously and thought she was probably still out on the town with a boyfriend and that she would be returning. But the day after that, Jean's purse was found near the Ferndale entrance at Griffin Park. One of the handles of the purse was ripped off, which indicates a potential struggle had taken place. The purse's contents were still intact, however, and this included a cryptic note. The note read, Kirk can't wait any longer. Going to see Dr. Scott. It will work out best this way while mother is away. And then it ends with a comma. The LAPD felt that the note ending with a comma indicates she didn't end up finishing writing the note. Or maybe she was just rushing to write it and just ended it with a comma. And Jean's mother was away. Um, she was visiting relatives in Kentucky at that time. The finding of the note prompted a 60-man search of the Griffith Park area, but no additional evidence was found. Jean's ex-husband, Dexter, and his new wife confirmed that they were together all evening, and he never saw Jean. But, I mean, if that's your alibi... Your wife or husband is probably going to try to protect you, so I don't know how strong that is. Also, there was no late night shoot taking place that night at any of the film studios. Uh, Jean was last seen alive at the original Farmer's Market in Los Angeles by a clerk who said it looked like Jean was waiting for someone. Detectives had no possible suspects. That is until Kirk Douglas himself called investigators from his home in Palm Springs where he was vacationing. Kirk maintained that he vaguely remembered Jean, like seeing her around on set when they were filming together, but he made it sound like their relationship was very casual, like he didn't remember her really. Someone had to remind him that that was the same person who was missing. And this is his co-star? 
this is Kirk Douglas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were. I think she like was an extra on the film. Mm-hmm. So oh, okay, he's very famous and well known. So his name getting dragged into this like caused a lot of attention. Yeah. Um, like I googled her name and his name popped up shortly after, basically. And yeah, it's interesting that her note read Kirk, and it's spelled it the same way and everything. And he called the LAPD and basically said, oh, no, we didn't talk. I barely remember her. So. Mm, Fishy. um, Yeah, he maintained they didn't have an intimate relationship. And Jean's mother recalled her daughter talking about a Kirk from film sets. But besides that, she didn't have any more information. A friend of Jean also revealed that she was pregnant when she vanished. So this then prompted the next theory that Dr. Scott, she mentioned in the note, likely was someone performing illegal abortions that happened a lot at that time. Like either like legit doctors or students or people who said that they were doctors but weren't really would take money from people to perform abortions because it was illegal at that time. And sometimes it ended pretty badly if it wasn't an actual doctor or something went wrong and the women sometimes ended up dying as a result or getting really sick after. So if Jean did do this, it makes sense that she was being like secretive and couldn't tell anyone because it was illegal uh so then police tried finding who this dr scott could be they found doctors in the area with the last name scott but nothing came out of this but then they found a former medical student who frequented bars and clubs on the sunset strip and was performing paid abortions so he became a suspect his nickname was scotty but he was never located by investigators. So then one of their theories then became she could have died from an illegal abortion, but this wouldn't explain her broken purse found in Griffith Park. Later, it came to light that Jean had an affair with a man named Scotty, who had been an Air Force lieutenant during her marriage. The man was known to act violently toward her, but his lawyer claimed their affair ended in 1945. With the leads going nowhere, the press tried finding a connection between the unsolved murder of Elizabeth Short from 1947, which is a previous topic. There were many eerie similarities, including being an aspiring actress and living in the same area. The son of the prime suspect in the Dahlia case has come forward to suggest his father may have been responsible for both murders. His name is Steve Hodell, and he believed his father, a sexually voracious celebrity doctor named George Hodell, was the Black Dahlia killer. But this couldn't be verified as George died a long time ago. So the, te- the detectives were feeling pretty frustrated by the lack of results and said that the only thing they knew for sure at that point was that Jean, quote, really got around. Jean also had relationships with a wealthy nightclub owner, a rich playboy, a well-known educator, and um, a group of actors and jet setters, apparently. 
So, as I said before, it was pretty normal for mobsters to mingle with Hollywood people. They would usually hang out at bars or gambling places together. And Jean was spotted with David Little Davy Ogle, who was an associate and bodyguard of Jewish mobster Mickey Cohen. Jean was spotted with the bodyguard a week before she vanished. And he actually disappeared a few days before Gene did. But it's thought that he was killed as a result of like a mob related. So Gene's case remains unsolved to this day. There has been no trace of the aspiring actress since October 7th, 1949. So the last thing her sister-in-law remembers like their last interaction was when Jean crossed her fingers and winked at her sister saying, quote, wish me luck end quote before disappearing off into the night. So that's the disappearance of Jean Spangler. That's a really weird thing to say to your sister-in-law. It was like the last thing that you say to them. Yeah. I feel like that means she was either meeting up with someone mm-hmm. in a great situation or, the doctor thing but they for sure ruled out there wasn't any film shooting mm-hmm. happening that night so it wasn't that so either met with the ex-husband met with some other guy like she knew something was gonna happen yeah i also feel like if she fought that hard for full custody of her kid that's a motive for the ex-husband yeah but i think it also means that like i don't think she would do something to like stage like a disappearance mm-hmm. or something like that at least i hope not yeah like one of the other main theories is that she ran mm-hmm. off with a bodyguard and they were living in mexico which is a very common theory for people who disappeared at that time but then most people disagreed with it because they didn't say- they said she wouldn't leave her daughter yeah. behind she so. would have brought the kid with her so i don't really think there's that she may have gotten, like, a botched abortion, but that doesn't explain, like, her purse or the note. I um, know. Yeah, I'm curious about the purse. It's a shame that they can't do, like, DNA from back then because maybe there's somebody else mm. DNA on that purse. But I mean, if the daughter had kids, mm. like, they can maybe technically, like, if they still have the daughter's mm. DNA or her relatives mm. or anything. But Yeah. I don't know. My... Yeah. I don't know. I'm leaning towards like the ex-husband know something or knew something. I know. Or the, apparently she had a lot of ex-boyfriends. And if mm-hmm. she did, then that leads to more potential suspects. And if she was pregnant, it could have been motive because if they were mad, if she was pregnant by somebody else or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The whole note with her saying mm-hmm. Kirk. That yeah. was weird. Oh, that that was one of my other theories that it was Kirk Douglas. And he was, like, I don't know, pissed about her getting the abortion mm-hmm. or her being pregnant and maybe, like, killed her somehow. Yeah, or, like, paid somebody to do it. Hire a hitman. They worked at, in, at a film together, and her mom said that she mentioned someone named Kirk. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many Kirks were there in the area, but... It's not a very common name, yeah. so... I don't know. I guess we'll never know, but... That was a good one. I hadn't heard of it before. Hmm. Thanks. Yeah. Although it does feel like a lot. It was so much easier, I think, also to disappear back then than it is today. I know. I think that's why it was so easy for people to just have new lives in Mexico. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I've seen that theory a lot. 
It's always Mexico. It's never Canada. Yeah. It's always Mexico. I guess if you're in California, then... Mm. Yeah, Mexico's right a little there. closer. That's true. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Oi with the Terror. We usually record every Thursday, but sometimes we take sabbaticals because we have other jobs. Mm-hmm. Life is busy, especially this time of year. So, yeah. Uh... You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Uh, like and follow our posts, Instagram and Facebook, Oi With A Terror, Oi With A Terror Already podcast. If you have any suggestions, email us at oiwithaterroralready at gmail.com. And see you all next week. Bye.